Hello, I am your host, Henry, and welcome to episode three of the In Our Bodies podcast, a podcast made by and for people of color who deal with disability, chronic illness, and or neurodivergence. But as I always say, formal diagnosis aside, if you've ever felt like your body mind doesn't want to subscribe to what society has decided is normal, then this podcast celebrates you. Before we jump into the episode, just a little content warning. At 43 minutes and 45 seconds, the conversation leads towards a suicide mention. So if needed, when you get to that point, I would advise you to skip forward a minute. And with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. We have guest Veronica Louie on with us this episode. Her pronouns are she, her. She is of Chinese Filipino descent, currently based in Toronto. Veronica has a love for literature. She has done some modeling and is currently interested in exploring traditional Chinese medicine. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm kind of excited about this. Yes, kind of excited, kind of nervous. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. We're All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> Doing lots of giggling. Okay, let's jump right into it. Um, okay. When our guests feel comfortable, I always start off asking um, if they can, in their own words, explain a little bit about their disability or chronic illness. So, sure. If we can start there. Yeah. So. Um... I am living with lupus nephritis, mainly SLE lupus, which is systemic lupus erythematosis. Um, But I (laughs) did medical names, eh? I know, right? (laughs) I probably butchered it, but um, I also had CNS lupus, which is easier to say, central nervous system. So, um, yeah, and I just I just received a kidney transplant. In the beginning, when I was first diagnosed, I was around 12, 13. I was um, able to be a patient at SickKids. I was first diagnosed with SLE lupus, which mainly affects like joints or like your skin, like stuff like that. It's obviously, it affects your immune system. And then it quickly transformed into CNS lupus, which is a little bit more uh, rare and a little bit more severe because it it affects your central nervous system. So I just essentially became a vegetable. Like I, I didn't even know my name. I couldn't recognize faces. I could not move. Um, and I was hallucinating. That was a big thing. Um, yeah. So I was just really not myself. So were you essentially Otherwise, I'm using quotations here, healthy mm-hmm. before the age of 12, 13, and then it kind of, yeah, appe- yeah. it kind of appeared. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because, you know, I, you mentioned that I, uh, I'm interested in TCM and, mm-hmm. um, which is th- traditional Chinese medicine. Yes. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because I, I was going through some therapy with, um, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. Um, who specializes in kidney, and she suspects that I had lupus way before the symptoms actually um, showed. And I, so what actually triggered it was I had an episode of shingles when I was like 12, um, because I was going through 
a lot of stuff and um I guess I got really stressed and then I got shingles around my abdomen mm-hmm. and then I also noticed my left knee was like huge and swollen and painful and it took me like 10 minutes to get up a flight of stairs so my dad's like there's something wrong and fortunately he was tested for lupus which mm-hmm. came back negative but he was like hmm and he kind of like put two and two together got me to do a test and then my lupus came back positive when did he get tested for lupus um when he was about I would say like 40 45 mid 40s so it was quite lucky that I don't know, in some part of his medical history, somebody suspected that he might have had it for you to even know about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. um, We do on this podcast, we do like pre-interviews just to chat. And something that you've talked about is that people don't really know what lupus is. Yeah. 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 Especially back then, too, because like lupus, I didn't even know what lupus was. I've never heard of it ever. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, so I was very, very fortunate because it's. We were also talking about this with my dad and I. How weird it is that lupus isn't kind of because I told you before, lupus is also called the disease with a thousand faces, meaning yeah. it could it like could before when we were speaking, like, yeah, in our pre-interview, in a, yeah, mm-hmm. it could it could manifest in many, many different ways. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the ways are kind of like known diseases already but it may not be the that exact disease it could be lupus that's causing it so for example my kidney disease is caused because of lupus so had I just um had the symptoms of kidney failure someone Mm. may misdiagnose me because they would say oh Mm -hmm. she has kidney failure but like what caused it lupus caused it right okay um so we were just talking about that and I was saying like lupus should actually be something that is that everyone should know about mm-hmm. right because it could actually be the cause of so many different things yeah and so you're oh, not really also, treating the root cause yeah and something that I wanted to mention just on the podcast um because actually our previous guest Annie told me this and I confirmed this with you is mm-hmm. that lupus most uh most largely affects Asian women yeah so yeah, that's a really big thing to know, right? It's like that's huge. a very specific demographic yeah. of people like, yeah. within our community that is getting affected by this. And number one, nobody knows about it in general. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that like nobody knows that a bunch of like Asian women are suffering from yeah. this. Yeah, it's it's most prevalent in women or females mm-hmm. and most prevalent in well, people of color, but mainly Asians. And um it also is heavily seen in ages from 11 to like 15. Okay. That's when people usually get diagnosed with lupus. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's a huge thing. And it's, it's good now because I was, I remember laughing about this with you in our pre-interview, how House made lupus a thing. And the TV show House. The TV yeah. show House. Yeah. And yeah. it was funny because I heard, I didn't watch it, but someone told me um, that whenever he couldn't diagnose something, he would say it might be lupus. And mm-hmm. I laugh because that's exactly, it's, it's true because whatever you can't diagnose, it may be lupus. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the first time I ever actually heard about 
you know, lupus in the media or in, right. you know, popular media, popular culture. And when I first heard about that, it was actually really, you know, relieving. And I was excited about it because like we, like we said, lupus wasn't known at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And even just that small mention of lupus in popular culture kind of put it on people's radar. You're like, I feel seen. This is Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, let's continue then the conversation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to clarify, the only thing that I know about it is obviously kind of through you and through my other friend, Annie. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. way she describes it is like an autoimmune disease or yeah. like an immune system that is in some ways overactive yes. and is attacking different parts of your body which is why it can like manifest in you know your skin your joints Mm -hmm. for you currently your kidneys and Mm -hmm. um, a million other ways that are sometimes very hard to diagnose yeah is that kind of an okay like colloquial way of just kind of clarifying what lupus yeah that's exactly what it is it's an autoimmune disease and um again with the tcm reference um it's basically your body attacking itself. So your body's yeah. at war with itself. Yeah. yeah, which is super interesting because that's kind of what I have eczema. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what eczema is as well. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't, I, I don't really know what eczema is. That's no, but I remember <laughs> how bad, how bad it was for you. Like, I mean, we've known each other since university. And I remember first year, because I, I was fortunate, I had a single dorm and yeah I and I did too but just to clarify oh, oh yeah Veronica, you did yeah Veronica and I also know it's it's very odd that we we also know each other from university from first year <laughs> yeah actually before I met Annie and um you asked me off camera if on this podcast I would how much of myself mm-hmm. I would be speaking about mm-hmm. and I'm currently still pretty unsure about it but um we talked about maybe you, because I actually also just have really terrible memory because there's a lot of points in my life where I'm like super depressed or like the, I'm just like in a lot of pain. And I think that yeah, yeah. there's something about that in the connection with how memory works. So I actually don't remember uh, kind of our time together really in first year. And yeah. um, fortunately uh, I do. Yeah. So you share it. Cause <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> well, maybe once I like start talking about it, you might recall and then can. Uh, I, okay. Well, yeah. maybe go ahead. No, but I, I remember um, just you would knock on my door early, early in the morning and be like, dude, I can't go to class. And I'm like, and you're like, can I just crash here? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. And you would just come and I would see just like, how horrible eczema was for you um and you would tell me things like it would be so painful that you know you couldn't even wear anything because you know just something touching it was like just unbearable or be so itchy or whatever and and you would literally just crash at my place sleep most of the time because it was probably just too much for you I would come and bring you food and and yeah, and like I was that was the first time I actually really got to see the extent of eczema and what it could do to people. Um, and 
I remember the whole like sometimes we would never see you out of come out of your out of your dorm because you know and you would talk to me about how insecure it made you feel like just even the mental health part of it too and yeah for a little bit of context I pretty much I've always had eczema but I moved to university I moved to Kingston to go to Queen's University and we moved into dorms first year and then I'm pretty sure because a dorm is dirty as fuck. Just, yeah. you know, they don't clean it. and it's Also just changing climate and all that stuff. Yeah, and um, moving from Vancouver to Toronto, winters mm-hmm. were extremely, extremely cold. Mm-hmm. Um, I went from having, I don't know, I don't actually remember how my eczema was before that. But it was not bad. As bad. But I mean, before coming, it was probably not as bad. I don't remember oh, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like it, I, I ended up fully having it probably on like 80% of my body yeah and it was just uh uh yeah back then I don't know if this is appropriate or it's okay to say but back then I, I used to call it like burn victim vibes like it was just mm. yeah it really not. was honestly it was really eye-opening like I still have the image of it in my head like really yeah I it was wow. really yeah and um it was all over your body and um and it was probably the stress and everything too right like I can't like yeah and back looking back it's just like the stuff we go through just for education like it's just crazy fucking crazy it's just like you know I I it's funny too because when I um started having kidney failure Mm -hmm. I had a doctor at Sunnybrook who told me she noticed most a lot of the cases that she sees in young adults who who mm-hmm. see her mm-hmm. are from queens like no yeah it's insane and she personally told me like i don't know what's going on there but a lot of the patients that i see who have kidney problems are from queens when was this when what at what time or like what age is this that you're speaking of like getting I, it was in 2017 so we were we were okay. done university but like yeah 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 it was it's just it was so crazy that she told me that i had no idea that's really sketchy. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Uh, and no, I just me... I just really feel like you know people should know because like I didn't know much about eczema before meeting you, and I still don't know a lot about eczema. I just know that I know someone who has it, and it's quite severe, and it can be really severe and debilitating. And it's just I I feel like you know everyone should know about it because it's I feel like eczema is also one of those things where it's just like oh you have eczema right yeah but people don't know oh your skin is a little bit itchy Mm. yeah or like remember you told me your doctor that when you saw your doctor and he's like are you moisturizing and you're just like (sighs) are you fucking kidding me right now yeah Yeah. Yeah. and it's just something like that because people don't know just how severe it can get yeah and I feel you honestly I, I've had the fortune to have like a lot of amazing friends in my life, but not like, not a lot of people see me that way, or Mm -hmm. get to see that at all, because it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, really, unless you're living with me, which maybe some, like my, my spouse, maybe Mm -hmm. like, or like a, a previous partner, like nobody sees it, because as you said, like, I don't come out of my room, right? And I'm, yeah, I am very... I feel very strongly about being very pleasant to people, which is 
I don't know. But anyway, yeah, um, I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that on my behalf because I'm still, I still feel very like just a little bit shy about how to be expressing my disability or my chronic illness. And, but beyond mm. that, thank you for I hope it the was care. Okay. But yeah. No, thank you for the care that you extended me at that time. Like, of course. Thank you. That's, yeah, I, I owe it to people like you who I, you know, meet on like throughout my journey in my life mm-hmm. to extend that kindness. And I, I really, really appreciate it. I mean, of course, like it's, it's hard, especially in, in university when you're away from home and stuff, like you need to rely on, on friends, right? Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of touched on kind of the basics as to how lupus affects you, but I kind mm-hmm. of more specifically want to talk about the last couple of years leading up to your your kidney your inevitable kidney transplant and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, stuff beyond that. So can mm-hmm. you I don't know, speak on that a little bit? For sure, yeah. So for the last three or four years I was going through a lot of stuff personally and, you know, career-wise and stuff. And mm-hmm. I also became negligent with my medication. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some medications that I absolutely hate to love and love to hate. One of them is like the steroid called prednisone. You may have heard of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think I've taken it. I've, it's I've been prescribed it yeah. for um, eczema as well. It's the one yeah. that, is it the one that is gives you a likely chance for like osteoporosis and like moon face yes and stuff. yeah moon face yeah 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 yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. and it's 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 a necessity because honestly if all else fails prednisone is there prednisone is there okay. but um it also gives you so many side effects like it's and it's okay. contradict it's contradicting too it could give you like it could make you have cravings, but can also, you know, make you have loss of appetite. It's just like okay. anywhere, right? And I bag. bet you, exactly. And I okay. bet you whoever you speak to who has taken prednisone will tell you the same thing, that they hate it. And yeah. um, so that was one of the medications I was on and I, I hated it. And um, especially as um, a young female who, you know, I image is a huge thing right yeah you want to look you know, hot there's nothing wrong with I that I want to look hot exactly yeah. right you're gonna want to uh, look hot just because you're sick doesn't mean you don't want to look hot like exactly come on. exactly yeah so um yeah especially and I'll touch more about this but with modeling too right yeah um so I stopped taking it for a while and that really really affected me and then one or two times I forgot to take another medicine and so it kind of all spiraled um and my kidneys inevitably just were like nope (laughs) like I'm done (laughs) done. yeah Yeah, so um it was a whole bunch of things and um yeah and then I I just I remember I had to go to the ER because I wasn't feeling well and they were like dude your kidneys are just not working well and um and this was like three or four years ago yeah yeah okay got it and um and that's when I I landed myself in Sunnybrook I got I met an amazing amazing nephrology team there um run by Dr. Michelle Ledenowicz she's amazing and I believe she has a all um female team which is 
fucking and amazing. And Sunnybrook is a clinic, a hospital. It's, what it's, is this place? Sunnybrook is a health and medical uh, research place, but also has a hospital. Okay. Um, but they're mainly focused in, in North York, right? Ontario. Yeah, North York. In Toronto, North York. Yeah. Got yeah. it, got it, got it. And, um, but yeah, she has an amazing team and we tried to kind of revive it, you know, fix the kidney kind of thing, but it didn't work. I went through chemotherapy. I went through a whole ton of like cocktails of drugs and it just didn't work. And so they were like, dude, you, you most likely need dialysis. And obviously that was devastating to hear. Um, and you know, but you just kind of soldier on and you just be like, yeah, okay. Um, and you have a different uh, type, you have different types of dialysis to choose from. And the most, um, I guess, appealing to people in that situation is peritoneal dialysis or PD dialysis. And that's just something they put kind of like a tube in your peritoneal cavity okay. and it like hangs out from your abdomen you clean your peritoneal cavity. So it's not cleaning your blood, it's just cleaning your your stomach area, abdomen area. Um, Can I ask a couple questions? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what is the purpose of dialysis? Why did you, like, what is dialysis? And like, why did you need it? And okay. what is the peritoneal cavity? Yeah, so dialysis, it acts as a support for your kidneys because your kidneys are used to filter the toxins in your body amongst another, a bunch of other things that it right, does, right. like it regulates a lot of stuff. Um, and my kidneys were failing, so it wasn't able to filter toxins in my body. So we always kind of um, check this number for creatinine. Creatinine is like the toxic in your body and okay. um, the normal range for, now it's different um, in every country. Like the way they calculate it is different. In in mm -hmm. Canada, um, we calculate it by the hundreds. So the normal range is hundred and below. Um, when I first got diagnosed, it was around 200, 300. And it went all the way up to 800. That was pre-dialysis. That's 800% higher than yeah. appropriate. Yeah, that's not exactly. okay. <laughs> no, it's not okay. So I need a dialysis. And so what the peritoneal cavity is, is basically your whole abdomen below kind of your chest area. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the space around your stomach and your intestines and all that stuff. And there's a lot okay. of space in there. So yeah, so they put this tube in you. And they're really considerate. They put it in a spot where you will be able to hide it with your pants and stuff like that. And every night I would be hooked up to this machine and it was, it's different for everyone, but I had kind of like a nine hour regimen. So I was able to do it while I was sleeping. And basically you have a solution that kind of pumps into your system, sits there for a few hours. They take it out again via the machine. And that's all your toxins just coming out with a solution. So that goes on for about three or four cycles during the night. So nine hours a day? Nine hours, yeah. Every day? Every day, every day, yeah. Every single day? Every single fucking day, yeah. But it was, it was nice, like, because um, I was able to do it at night. So it was basically while mm -hmm. I was sleeping. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it did also affect um, kind of my day-to-day activities as well. Because if I wanted to do something early in the morning or something, I would have to really time it well. And I also had to set up the machine myself. So I remember, you know, dragging my feet sometimes at night because, you know, I'd be chilling with my family. We'd be watching something and I'm like, oh, my God, I have to go set up this machine. And then I go and I have to do this thing. And then, you know, and even my family, like it would affect them, too, because, you know, they would have to accommodate to me and my schedule as well, because I had to do this Mm -hmm. every night. Right. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, I was it gave me some freedom, too, like. I was able to travel with it. I was able to um, just, I did a modeling camp with it. Like I went to New York wow. to see Coco Rocha and do her modeling camp with it. So it was, it was wow. liberating too. And I was able to, once I got the hang of it, I was able to kind of just do it myself. So it wasn't that bad. Um, but Can then. You explain what the process of traveling while needing dialysis is like? Yeah, it's, um, very well in Canada we're very fortunate and throughout this whole journey I realized just how fortunate we are in Canada um compared to other countries but Canada allows you or in Ontario I should say allows you to travel within Canada twice free and once in America free and what they do is because you have so many bags and they're huge they're they're boxes they're really heavy they're like whoa like suitcases um, no, they're like boxes and cases of okay. of solution. Um, mm-hmm. And every day, every month, they would ship like 30, 40 boxes to me every month, right? Other boxes for other things, equipment that you need. And so mm-hmm. all of this has to be shipped to wherever you're going to. Okay. Um, and so all, a lot of pre-planning for just lot, every day, but also lot. especially with traveling, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and very vital because literally this is washing the toxins out of your body. Yeah, this is my life basically, yeah. So, yeah, you would have to give three, six months of notice of notice if you want to go internationally. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, but again, I, I didn't complain. But um, two two years after... Um, it started failing, peritoneal dialysis started failing, and my toxins yeah. were just climbing up again. And it reached like a thousand something at some point. And when it got really critical, I went into the hospital emergency, and my creatinine was not even cal- like they couldn't even calculate it. It was that high. It was it just said twenty five hundred plus. How does that? How does that much toxin in your body make you feel? Um, because I know that it's a bad number or whatever but also like how do you feel well essentially my doctor was like you could have died at home like it so I felt like absolute shit like I so it starts shutting down your whole body basically right so on top of how it makes you feel like the creatinine in itself it made me feel tired it made me feel um I was like swollen I was accumulating fluids because I was no longer urinating and I had no appetite my hair was falling out like it was just that stuff but on top of that you were no longer urinating how do you what do you how do you that's why the that's why all the toxins were kind of building in my body because I had no way of releasing them right right? peeing is excreting of course of course what am I saying peeing is excreting toxins right yeah exactly exactly fortunately I was still able to make bowel movements Okay. But um, that's like not enough, right? So no. um, 
Yeah. And I literally would be in my bed day in and day out. And um, eventually I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to go into the hospital. And yeah, it was a horrible, horrible experience because a lot, my team at that time, my peritoneal dialysis team, they, I felt I was being not listened to. And I was really, really angry because I told my nurse, um, listen, I don't feel well. And I, and she's, she just texts me and she's like, could it be because of this? Which was like, are you eating too much vegetables or something like that? And I was okay. like, like, what? I don't know. This <laughs> I know. pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but then now I look back and it's like, it could also be because they don't have experience with someone who has kidney failure, but also, but caused by lupus. Okay. Um, Cause they only deal with kidney failure. Right. Okay. And I think that is cause for conversation because obviously there are many, many different reasons why someone has kidney disease. One, uh-huh. the most prevalent in that center that I found was because of diabetes. Uh-huh. Um, but now, because we know that there are so many different reasons, mm-hmm. I think nurses and doctors should be more trained to deal with situations patterns. like this. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. different patterns of how kidney failure or just things around the kidney can show up. Kind of exactly. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Um, but yeah, so since my cranium was so high, they were like, we have to do immediate hemodialysis, which is filtering the blood, which right. gives more, more clearance. It's more invasive. Yeah. Um, and I had to do this dialysis at a center. I couldn't do it by myself. Well, you can, but. I don't want to. Um, you, I had to go three times a week, four t- four hours a day, and I just lie there, and they kind of hook me up, and they to this machine, and it clears my blood. And I, and one thing I think people should know is that dialysis is only supporting your your kidneys. It doesn't do everything the kidney should do. So okay. even though, um, yeah, it's helping you filter out toxins my t- mm-hmm. my so my cranium would be at like a thousand something if I didn't mm-hmm. do dialysis dialysis dropped it to 600 so I still had a bunch of toxins in my body so you're yeah. still 600 percent over the acceptable limit yes. of 100 for normal people right exactly exactly oh, okay. so it's it's not it's not like a solution it's yeah it's just something to help you um right. which is why I was on the list for a transplant how long so, were you on a list for? Um, I was on the list. So when you start in Ontario, when you start dialysis, you get on the list. Okay. Um, so I was on the list for about three years. So two years wow. and eight months. Right. And it also depends on, this is for deceased, a deceased donor. Um, uh-huh. And it also depends on your blood type. So I, my blood type is A positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the average amount of wait time for me were, for a deceased donor would be five to seven years. Um, wow. people with, okay. I think blood type like, O or whatever, is like 10 plus years. So yeah. Yeah. There are also many, many other factors that go into this point system that they have, which I'm not fully equipped to like, I know age is a thing as well. Um, like a point system as to how urgent or how these, these kidneys of deceased people get allocated yes. right? or get yeah. like given out. Yeah, yeah, like sorry. You get one, you get one. <laughs> Everybody gets a kid. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the so age is a thing and mm-hmm. 
that also made you know me feel really really guilty about that too because it's like why am I different compared to you know an elderly man who needs a kidney right like because I know how it feels to not have it and people some people die doing dialysis right like they never get the chance and I had a grandmother who was just doing dialysis and she she passed away right yeah and so there is that guilt factor also um but when you go through the transplant workup you have to do a bunch of tests you get tested for mental health um issues um you get tested for you know diabetes for you know like stress tests a lot of Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff it can take a while especially if they want you to go back and do some other tests um Mm -hmm. but fortunately for me like I was told once I finished all my workup that it would be about six to eight months wait for me and literally I would think a month later after I finished it I got the call and it was so funny because I had just finished dialysis when I got the call and they're like I'm a little bit I'm a little bit confused so you get on the transplant list or a waiting Mm -hmm. list the moment you start dialysis Mm -hmm. And what are you speaking about right now? So like there is a workup that happens. What is this wait time? What are we speaking about right now? So while you're on this wait list for a deceased donor, you also have Uh the, 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 uh, the chance to find a living donor as well. Right. Um, And that, that will be faster, but throughout this whole process, they need to know if your body is, can accept a transplant, right? You can't just like Uh get a transplant. If they find that, you know, you are not really taking care of your body, your lifestyle isn't great, or your mm-hmm. um, mental health isn't that great, they will reject you. Like, and, But rejection doesn't mean like you can never do it ever. Mm-hmm. It's just you need to make some adjustments and okay. we'll come back and we'll assess you again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when was, these it tests, you, when was it for you that you got to do this workup? Um, so tests? almost immediately, almost immediately when I started dialysis, it, it can take months because obviously there are other people who are taking this test as well and they have to accommodate okay. to other people and okay. stuff and such. And then if you have a living donor, she also, or he also has to do a test as well to see if they're mm-hmm. um, an eligible candidate to give you a kidney. So mm-hmm. it can actually take a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout all this, you're doing dialysis, right? Right. So, yeah. And then, right. oh my God. And then COVID was a thing. So. Right. Okay. So. You were doing dialysis and started doing dialysis about three or four years ago because of a Mm -hmm. multitude of reasons and medicine's not working and just your kidney just no longer deciding that it wants to work the way it quote unquote should work, you know? Right. And then you go on dialysis, you know, of one sort and then that one didn't work out and you had Mm -hmm. to do a more um, intrusive one. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what you would say. And Mm -hmm. then that leads us up to you, I guess, at some point finding a kidney. And when, yeah. when was that? How was that? How was the, I don't know, how was getting, how was getting a new kidney? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, because I also had a living donor, my living donor, she's based in, a, in the States. Okay. So because of COVID, it was very, very hard for her to come over here because she would have to do all her pre-transplant workup here in Toronto like she Mm -hmm. could not do it in America Mm -hmm. um and so it was very hard to get her over here to do it um and that process was taking a while 
Um, but when I got the call, I was mm. conflicted because um, obviously having a living donor is better in terms of how long the kidney will last for on average. Mm-hmm. Um, on average, a deceased kidney lasts for, I think, 15 years, but a living donor would last maybe five years more than that, right? So, but so, that was... It's so interesting and like kind of bizarre to get like definite timelines yeah, on, yeah. Your, on your organs or have to think about them that way. I feel like a lot yeah. of people, like me included, have the privilege of not not having to think about yeah. our bodies in that way or have such like concrete timelines right yeah yeah I mean these are just yeah they're just like on average right there there yeah. there are so many cases that people are thriving with kidneys that have lasted for 30 years obviously there are exceptions to things um mm-hmm. but in my head in my mind I was so adamant on the living donor right because it's not one it's not every day when you come across someone who's willing to give you a kidney yeah and it's right? a match Right. Yeah. Yeah. When did you get this call? You said you said like COVID. So I'm assuming it was in 2020. But when did you get this call? So I actually got this call in June of 2021. So June June of 2021. Yeah. June 4th of 2021. Okay. So that's this year. um, How many months ago? That's so it's it's October now. Yeah, Yeah. October. Yeah. So about four months ago. Yeah. And I, um, I got the transplant the next day. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, um, yeah, so it was a really big decision. I had to jump on a call with my family because I was living away from them at that point. And Mm -hmm. my godfather was there. We were all just on this conference call with the surgeon and the Mm -hmm. person who know, who knew more about this kidney, um, Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, he was like, the surgeon was like, this is, I think, in my opinion, a really good match for you. Um, it's not every day that, you know, we find a kidney like this for, for someone. And, mm-hmm. and, and so because of the whole conversation we had, um, and I spoke to my living donor as well, like, hey, this is the situation. And she was so elated. And we went for it. And we literally had less than, I would say, five hours to make a decision and go to the okay. hospital. Okay. Um, so but she was but she was at that time in the US. So like, logistically, yeah. she had to come over. And kind yes. Of, okay. Yeah. So she would if she were going to to go through all of that, she would have had to come over, do her tests first. And that might that doesn't even guarantee that she could be my donor. She just right. has to do the tests first, right? Okay. So, um, yeah, so when we made the decision, we did it. And before you get there, they have to do another bunch of tests, especially the COVID test now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I stayed there overnight. And even when they say they have a potential kidney for you, it could also just mean, yeah, like it won't work. Because when they actually look at the kidney and they really – take a look at it they might see something that is off or you know it might not be what they expected or when they do some tests on it it's actually something came up so it's also you're still just waiting at the hospital but it's not definite until you actually put the kidney into your body and they sew you up and you're done yeah so <laughs> I'm just whole... I'm just hold wait can we just take a pause even to this 
point. Like there are so many points in which you were like, yeah, my toxicity was like super high and like could de- de- definitely have died. And like this point could have definitely have died. Like yeah. this is something that causes a lot of pre-planning. Like I needed to, to decide if Digest I could have like, yeah. yeah, just to hold space for you to like, that that's a lot, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like yeah. just kind of wanting to hold space and give you that like Thank recognition. You. You know? Yeah. Like, you're right. Like, and I, now that you mention it, I don't even think we ever even sat down and processed just how crazy this whole ride was. Like, we just went from situation to situation to situation. Yeah, because um, there's no time. Where there's is no there, time. Where is there time yeah. for you to, like, even process or have feelings about this? Decisions exactly. need to be made, right? Exactly. Like, it's not, it's just not possible. It doesn't feel possible in the moment. Exactly. Exactly. And coming from, an Asian background, especially a Chinese background, where, you know, emotions and feelings aren't really discussed. We don't really talk about this with our Which family or our parents, yeah. right? And um, that was really difficult to navigate, too, as a Canadian with Chinese-Filipino descent, yeah. right? Um, and, yeah, that whole emotional journey as well, on top of that physical journey, was a lot like you Mm -hmm. like you mentioned and now that you know we're taking a breather I I realized just um how just how crazy that whole these three years have been and even when I talk about it I say oh yeah for the past three years and to me it felt like an eternity that I've been in this right yeah so yeah what kind of um yeah what kind of like mental health support was happening in this time or mm-hmm. specifically when you were getting your transplant because mm-hmm. it's something um, that doesn't often get talked about often in tandem with like people who are severely like physically ill right like it's just there's does for some reason there doesn't seem like a consideration to make sure that we're emotionally doing okay as well even yeah. though emotionally you know, supported yeah yeah mentally supported are, yeah. you're going through some like fucking pretty traumatic shit you know like just I just it's it's just we just kind of I, I understand you because obviously we're cu- culturally similar mm-hmm. but it is kind of like the fact that you can even just go like yeah just almost died almost died like <laughs> is just really indicative of like how much stuff we have to go through and sometimes never have the space to fully process or yeah you know yeah yeah I think the mental health and emotional health on this journey was heavily neglected um and especially by the medical institution and um I was I'm very lucky to have like you said you know friends and family who support me on that aspect as well Mm -hmm. um but it's also very hard and I can understand this it's very hard for an an outsider to really relate to what I'm going through and really understand what I'm going through. And they just don't know how to support someone like this at that time. And I really get that. Um, But I don't um, know people just for people listening, you can always ask, asking helps. You know what I mean? When you don't know, I know that sometimes people who are going through stuff also don't know. But yeah. a good place to start in supporting your loved ones is literally just asking. Is asking. Yeah, exactly. You know? And 
you know, I was faced with many, many instances where I would tell someone, yeah, I'm going through this, and they would just not say anything. And it's like, ooh, this is awkward. <laughs> or, you know, they would say, they would do the go, th- go to, you know, line, get well soon. Or I hope you feel better soon. And Don't. It's like I have a chronic illness. Not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. And also, like, yeah, it's a little more than just get well soon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but one, one, I remember one time when I was telling you that when my cranium was like 2,500 plus and I was not, like, I could have died. Um, there was one point where also I was in the hospital during COVID and no one is allowed to really visit you at that time. So going through this by yourself and like going through everything that they're trying to throw at you is really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where I was just so overwhelmed that I didn't want to see anyone. um, And I was suicidal. Like I wanted to kill myself in the hospital. And the nurse comes in and she sees me crying and she's like, your mom's downstairs. Like, I'm like, I don't want to see her. And she's like, what's happening? Why are you crying? I was like, mm-hmm. I need to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. like whatever. I need to see a counselor, someone. And she's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll call them. And they never came. And it's like crazy to me because if you say my my ass is hurting, someone will come <laughs> and see your ass. You know what I mean? yeah. But like when it's about mental health, it's like nothing happens. And it's crazy that that you have these team of people who are there to help you physically but we don't think that we should maybe add the mental health aspect to it yeah that maybe um like yeah you have a social worker but they're not really there to help you with your mental health they they can be there to hear you hear how you're doing but they're not Mm -hmm. gonna you know that's not their job exactly yeah so it's just crazy for me that we still at this age cannot even realize that we need a support this in this way right Mm -hmm. yeah and there are many many times when I feel guilty I felt like a burden to my family um and you know I was the cause of their upset I was the cause of the stress in the family it definitely caused strains in the relationship with my friends my family Mm -hmm. I didn't want to see anyone like in that Mm -hmm. aspect I can relate to you when you didn't want to come out of your room um you know to see people right like it's Mm -hmm. the same like I don't want you know I don't want to socialize right Mm -hmm. um but no one really I noticed really ever checked in with me like they were just like how do you feel today like how how you know do you feel sick or whatever wise right yeah yeah yeah. no one really checked in about like how how are you feeling today you know yeah um I think that's such a when you say that, that actually sounds like such a relatable story when I think back on. So my eczema was definitely more severe as a kid or, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, I would, it would just be like, yeah, how's your skin doing? I think that's often Mm -hmm. what people, the first thing people would ask me. And I don't know if that's also just like a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't ever remember anyone asking me how I was emotionally doing or emotionally coping with, um, you know, whatever we were coping with. Exactly. I hope we're in, you know, 2021, a little bit better about doing that with each other. You know, 
of course, especially for people with disabilities and chronic illness and stuff like that, but just with people in general, just kind of like, I think something that I like to say is like, how is your heart, you know? Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that. It was so interesting because I was just talking to a family friend yesterday um, Mm -hmm. and he was saying, you know, yeah, we recognize mental health. We recognize that it's a thing. But even now in, you know, businesses and stuff, they're just like, you know, if you say, you know, I need to take a leave of absence because I have depression. They're just like, yeah, just leave. Right. They they want nothing to do with you. They just want they're like, we don't deal with that. Someone else does that. So just just leave. You know, no one really ever says something substantial or no really no one really really helps you in that way. Right. I don't think so. people I really don't think people know how to talk to or deal with uh, individuals who are continually sick. That's such a good statement. Yeah. I don't think people know what to do with us. Yeah. Like, because they're going to ask us and every time they ask us, we're still sick. And then they get really awkward about it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but you're so right. I feel like that culture really needs to change, which is why it's so amazing that you are creating this podcast because um, you're giving an outlet for people like us, right? To say how... Just just say your shit. Just vent it. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. We briefly mentioned at the beginning and you also mentioned a little bit that you did a bit of modeling. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you what your experience with modeling was and... I don't know how I phrased it before, but if like modeling was accepting, if the modeling industry was supportive and accepting of you as a person with lupus or you as like a person of color as well, right? Like mm-hmm. many, oh, yeah, many yeah. multitudes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so modeling had its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, it did give me confidence for sure. It made me feel good in my skin. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, ashamed of it as well because – for example, I have stretch marks on my arms and my abdomen um, from just ther- like different therapies that I had to go through while I was a child. I was always afraid of showing these stretch marks because I felt like I'm not perfect mm-hmm. enough. Um, and then therefore that would affect, you know, my performance and then it would affect my career as a model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a very superficial industry as well, I think. It's, so I always try to co- overcompensate and I always try to like, I would try to be as fit as possible because then if they looked at my skin, they're like, oh, she has these stretch marks, but at least she's got abs or at least she's toned or something, mm-hmm. you know? And I never really felt I was able to be accepted fully for who I am and I, I was even afraid to tell people sometimes that I had lupus mm-hmm. right because I, I like as long as they may not even know what lupus is but if the if if they hear I have this or I'm suffering from this they're like ooh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to deal with someone like that right right there's always um, that fear right yeah even even in any other kind of career I think it's always scary to tell an employer hey I'm dealing with this because one, yeah. they might they might 
feel sorry for you and they might treat you differently. Or another thing might be like, they just don't want to deal with someone like that. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. Um, how do you feel? This is, I guess, like a more metaphysical question, but how do you Mm -hmm. feel? How do you feel like people see you? Or how do you feel like lupus has limited the way people have seen you? Okay, so like, a lot of it may be in my own head, or my own belief of how people see me. And it could also be a fear. From what I know about talking to people, a lot of people don't see anything when they see me. They just see like a regular person just doing their own thing. And it's good and bad in its own way. Well, because that's almost like the I don't see color argument, right? Because it's kind of like, yeah, you are normal, but like quote unquote normal, but you are also a person that is dealing with their health. So like it's not good to discriminate against you for for being this like for having this but it's also not great to ignore yeah that you have this either right yeah like, yeah there and needs it, to be it, but it also puts that person in a really difficult position which is why you know I can understand why people are awkward and stuff but I always have this fear that people will treat me differently in the way where like they will baby me or they'll feel sorry for me or they will see that I'm weaker than others or I can't do things or they they'll just think that I'm different and like treat me differently like I was having this argument today actually with my godfather about how I was so upset that he told his friends about my condition without telling me Mm -hmm. um, or without asking for my permission so to speak and he he just didn't really understand why I was so upset And I told him that it was because you took that right away from me to, to control how I want to be perceived by others. Yeah. Yeah. And here I am trying to, you know, hide it in a way. And I guess people can argue either, like, why should you have to hide it? But it's like, I, I have to do or feel however, exactly. Exactly. I have a choice. Exactly. I have a choice to tell people or show people my condition or not and and I didn't know these people right and so um after all this conversation with him I guess he he then realized why I was so upset about it and Mm -hmm. I know that it came from a good place but it was it was just consideration that I was asking for but yeah he's like no they don't see you as a wounded puppy or whatever they just see you as a normal person but it's just so I feel like they're needs to be something in between it's kind of like what is number one what is a normal person and it's kind of like what is the idea of getting treated differently right no like you actually do kind of have to treat people with different like access needs differently and access needs being just essentially different considerations for different people who might like for example something that is an access need that I have is that my friends sometimes before we go out they at, they tell me how long the walk is or how mm-hmm. long we might be walking for because I can't walk for very long that's, you know yeah. like that, that's, that is inconsi- being, that's a consideration that is warranted right yeah right so yeah. like there needs to be I feel like there needs to be an in-between between normal whatever normal person is which I feel like is pretty fucking ableist and pity thank like, you you know like there yeah needs, 
I don't know. I just think that it's kind of, (sighs) yeah. Yeah. And neither is a compliment in some ways, you know? Yeah. But like, even just creating that space that I feel comfortable to tell you, okay, listen, I can't do this right now. Cause yeah. You know, just just creating that space. You don't have to always constantly be like, hey, are you okay? Hey, are you okay? Yeah. Just like allowing me to tell you whenever I'm not okay. Yeah. Right? And have um, the agency to do that. Yeah. And as a follow-up question, how how do you want to be seen? Or when mm-hmm. have you felt felt really cared for or really seen by like somebody else? That's a really, that's actually a really good question and something I think I'm still learning. But most of all, I just, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really know how I want to be seen actually. Sure. Because like you said, there's that, there's that balance where I want to be seen as quote unquote normal, mm-hmm. um, but also want to be understood that I have this condition and I may not be able to be on par every single day. But on par is a standard that was created by yeah, people that are not like right. us, right? Or you're just right. just ableist as yes. fuck. Like, what does that yeah. even mean? It's so arbitrary. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's like it's either you make it or you get left behind. That kind of thing, right? But yeah, um, it's a scary feeling. Yeah, I guess a way that I was um, felt like I've been, I was seen or heard was when. I w- when I'm able to have a conversation with people and they actually like you know that you know that feeling when you're being heard right yeah. and understood mm-hmm. as opposed to just being listened to um and and yeah yeah I, I actually don't know I'm still struggling with that part so okay continuous journey yeah just thought I would throw it out there but yeah I think <laughs> that that's also it's also a very complicated thing for us or possibly for you I don't want to speak for you but I think for me you spend so much time hiding right or I spent so much time hiding and I don't know where you are in your journey with yourself or you know but Mm -hmm. it took me a long time before I even wanted to be who I always knew I was or Mm -hmm. and that's in that idea of like the things that that I dealt with right because Mm -hmm. And which is why I said that I I felt uncomfortable. And thank you again for speaking on my behalf about like some of my eczema stuff. Of course, because of course. it's something that we deal with a lot, and then we just kind of have to deal with, but we don't really know how to talk about. So like, yeah. how we want to be seen, yeah, can be a very, I think, a very complicated question and yeah. something. I I hope you find, and I hope you find strength in it at thank some you. point because thank you. I see you. Yeah. We're gonna, I think this is where we're gonna end the podcast. Yeah. 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 Um, right. I'm just gonna record this part as well, just in case it's something that might be useful for other people. But after such a large conversation about a lot of like, you you spent a lot of energy revealing a lot of like personal things. Like I've had mm-hmm. the privilege to listen to a lot of like personal things. And I, um want to just take the space to like check in and see if you're okay and see if there's anything that we can be doing to kind of leave this conversation here you know what I mean like you have to go on and go on and do your day and I wanted to like in some way symbolically close this for you so you don't have to process or feel anything that you 
don't want to be feeling mm-hmm. that that you did kind of muster up mm-hmm. to to have this conversation here you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah yeah um I think that's one of the things that we don't really um, take the time to really recognize is like how we feel about situations and how we feel at the in the moment and I after you saying this I realized yeah like I'm a little I'm not traumatized by it but I'm shaken for sure because you know my hands are sweaty um my feet are cold I'm doing this podcast (laughs) yeah and um for a while I was like kind of like shaking as well because you're right living through it speaking about it and living through it again is is a whole it's a it's like an experience like experiencing it again right so yeah yeah so I don't know would it be helpful if we both put our hands on our hearts and just do a couple breaths and maybe sit up properly just um just uh acknowledging the power and the strength that you have to come forward with um with this vulnerability um thank yourself for showing up for you you know what I mean it's not this is not this doesn't matter it doesn't matter for anyone else but I'm glad that you're doing this for you or you feel like this is something that you're doing this for you Mm -hmm. um I hope that the rest of your day will be nice and calm and good and whatever you might be searching for for today thank you um and then let's close this conversation because this is what we needed to do today and you if you don't want to you don't have to process this anymore for the rest of the day or for whenever you want to and you only have to open it back up whenever you feel like it um and we're going to take three deep breaths how about that sure okay cool dude that was good thank you thank you so much if you've made it all the way to the end of this episode i sincerely thank you for listening it was a bit of a longer episode but hey i'm host creator and editor so i do what i want i'm sending you any extra kindness you might need in your body and mind today and i'll catch you at the next episode